You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. This is Ruv English and I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your time. And today I'm in Holmavik in the Westfjords and I'm back again somewhere where I've been before, but not for a few years. Uh, it's a place that I find really interesting and fascinating and judging by the number of tourists that come here, I'm not alone on that. The Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft Museum, which is in Holmavik, and I'm with Anna Björg Thoroninsdotter. Thank you very much for, for taking me round, Anna. Tell me how long it's been here firstly, then we'll get into what's actually going on here. How long has there been this Museum of Sorcery and Witchcraft? Yeah, the museum opened in 2000, so we recently just uh, became 23 years old. And at the time, there were not many uh, museums that were um, a cultural you know, destinations mm. for tourists, so it was quite new and strange to have it here in Stranded. It was quite isolated, yes. not many tourists here, but that was the idea. The main idea of this opening this museum here was to create attraction for people to come to the area yeah. and to support the area, create jobs and, you know, yes. have more service. And uh, then we opened the second part in 2005, which is the Saucer's Cottage. It's a small turf house which shows how the people in the 17th century lived. Um, okay. So, do you want me to tell you about the exhibition? Well, yes, yeah, I, very much so, and we'll, we'll wander around it. I was going to say that Holmavik is it's kind of like the gateway to the Westfjords, isn't it? It's the first settlement. If you were turning left to come to the Westfjords from, from the Ring Road, I guess, this is where you would want to stop and maybe have something to eat and something to drink. So, you must now, as tourists start to visit the Westfjords, you must find that people are coming and just popping in when they discover the place. Yes, exactly. We are very lucky with the location in that part. Like people make maybe sometimes just go the ring road, mm. but then you can take the detour up here and then yes. go down. That's yeah, so yeah. if you're really interested in this theme. But when it opened here in 2000, we didn't have the roads that we have now. No. So it was more difficult at that time to come yes. here. So, but they were like visionaries. So it was good mm -hmm. that we already yeah. had it. When we had the road, I come, I grew up in the area, like on the other side of the road. Yeah. I come from the other side, like we say here. And, but I didn't know the people here because there were not so much connection. It was only road open in the summertime. Yes. So. And it's also the gateway to Strandir as well, and Hornstrandir as we move around to the, the very far Northwest of the Westfjords. And that is an area historically known for witchcraft, isn't it? Or for sorcery and for sorcerers, which I guess is why the museum is here. So let's get into that, the history of this area, the history of the sorcery and the witchcraft in this part of Iceland. This was particularly a part of the country where that happened, wasn't it? Yeah, in the Westfjords. So most of the witchcraft cases were in the Westfjords. And uh, the area where we are now, Strandir, um, that had always the reputation that there were people here who knew to do new magic. Reason for that is probably that uh, it was quite isolated and the church did not have so much influence here. Mm. So the old way, like the heathen way and all the, that came with that, the rituals, which is kind of like magic, mm -hmm. um, that stayed a bit longer here than in the rest of Iceland. And so kind of people was, it was kind of like the Wild West, you know, yes. you could do a bit more what you wanted. And, you know, the governments were not yes. paying so much attention. And when the, when the counties were getting a coat of arms, then this area got a, the matic symbol Helm of Awe. So it's on the coat of arms for the area because yes. of this reputation. And, and that's still seen quite a lot, isn't it? The Helm of Awe. Yes, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Everywhere, yeah. 
and uh, we, we use it. It's our logo, but also like the sports team and the rescue team here also have that. It's just like, it's yeah, the, it's, it's the, our... <laughs> yeah, it's the logo of the time, as you say, as much as, as anything else. Now, I think I'm right in saying that Iceland is unusual in that, regrettably, when the, when the burnings happened, when the executions happened of the sorcerers or those who were thought to be, more men than women were caught up in that, which is quite unusual, isn't it, when you look at what was happening in other countries? Yes, yeah, it was. Um, well, it's hard to explain. We cannot pinpoint to the one reason why that was. Um, but here, uh, every woman has to be bound to a certain household, or every person, and women too. So they were not living alone somewhere in the forest, which I think was often in Europe. Mm -hmm. So women who were living kind of different way, or like living alone, they got, you know, executed. And um, here also women were not, unfortunately, uh, educated, so they couldn't read or very limited or right, and because uh, an evidence for witchcraft was often uh, rooms or some, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or even just having books or, or some sort of knowledge of the, of the craft, I guess, was enough to be uh, suspicious. Yes, exactly, yeah, okay. like that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the exhibits here, and we're just entering the main part, and there is the helm of all there. Tell me about some of these exhibits and what they tell us about the witchcraft and the sorcery that was taking place in the 17th century? Mm -hmm. So uh, we are in this uh, almost 100 years old house by the harbour. And uh, here we have the exhibition about the witch craze in Iceland in the mm -hmm. 17th century and also about witchcraft and, uh, you know, uh, how it was believed what you could do with witchcraft and, you know, and according to some old grimoires. So we show you some items, uh, mostly replicas, we got a, a designer from the theater mm -hmm. to design the museum uh, in 2000. When they were uh, decided to found the museum, they were really careful. They knew they had to do it very well. So they put a lot of emphasis on working um, with the documents and everything like that. And also the designer, how you display it, that's very important because it's a very sensitive subject. And uh, older people here in town were not happy with this really? decision to open it, no, mm -hmm. because they think the magic is not, not something you don't want to deal with, and they maybe well, make something fun of it, or yeah. it will be, you know, they were... Were they pr protective of it, or, di or did they fear it, do you think? I don't think they feared it, but I don't know. I, I, I cannot tell, no, exactly. Yeah, 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 but yeah, I yeah. only know that they didn't like it. Right. No. And is that still true now? Or? But no, no. no. When they opened it and they saw it was, then they, then they saw, oh, this is actually very nice. It's okay. very tasteful. And it's very, you know, in a respectful way that we're showing this. Yeah. Well, let's move around. There's a map here showing just how concentrated um, those executions were and those... Um, instances of sorcery and witchcraft. You can see a map of Iceland here and what I'm looking at and most of the red dots are up in the west fields compared with the rest of the country. So what we're looking at here is it's a skin of some kind. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, this is skin. Well, I'm, I want to talk about the worm on the on the box first because yes. this is a magic to uh, get money and this is a worm that actually lives in the sea, sea mouse. And it was believed if you catch a sea mouse and put it in a box with a uh, hair of a virgin and a stolen coin, it will attract money from the sea. But the sea mouse does not want to live in the box, so you have to be able to uh, seal it in there. So then you have to have a skin of a wild cat and, uh, and, um, and engrave a magical symbol with blood. I think it was the first, yeah, it was the first period blood of a virgin. 
and, and put this and lay this over the box and then the mouse will not escape. If it escapes, it will create uh, very bad storms okay. and you would not want that at the time. So many of these grimoires contain what you might call spells or processes, I suppose. They're very specific, aren't they? You have to use, if you want to follow these, you've got to use particular types of blood on particular days when the moon is doing a particular thing. It's hard to tell, I guess, but why do you think those were written down in such a specific way? Oh, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I suppose, how, how, did, how did anyone find out that that was the way to do it? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. I, I, I don't know. But the, the thing is also where, like, we find one grimoire and the other one, and they have the same symbol, but then the instructions are not the same. Not the same. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's really hard. You cannot say anything is yeah. right or wrong. So. And I read one interpretation as well that says that the way that Icelandic magic works, if it, if it does work, mm -hmm. is that these are just guidelines. So, and they're metaphors as well. If you are told that you have to, for example, carve something on your forehead. It doesn't literally mean that. It just means you could maybe stick it on with a bit of paper or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, and yeah. also, that, like this magic uh, is that you have to steal the first coin. I think that's quite enough. Like, so you're doing something yeah. bad. Yes, and, yes. And, 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 you know, this will to gather more money is not so good. And then I want to well, talk about... Yes, and talking of the will to gather yes. money, I'm standing in front of the famous necropants. Uh, how to describe this? This is the, the skin of the bottom half of a man, his legs and his private parts as well. And I must say that when we were here four years ago, my partner was disappointed that this wasn't, as he put it, a real pair of necropants. This is a replica. I said, well, how could it be a real pair? <laughs> <laughs> well, a real pair if you, you know. I actually got once an email, someone who wanted to donate the skin. To really? us, yeah. You could have, um, but, but, but I mean, it, would, would it then have to be used to make it real? I wonder. Uh, yeah, you mean like that? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> let, well, let's talk about how it's supposed to be used because it's a pretty gruesome sight, obviously. If you imagine what I've just described, the bottom half of a man skinned. Um, how was this supposed to be used and what was supposed to happen? So, to make your own necropants, you have to make a deal with someone who's alive that you're allowed to skin the person from waist down. It has to be a man because the scrotum plays an important part. And so, after they die, you cannot kill them. You have to skin them. And uh, you have to steal a coin again from a poor widow and make a necropant, a magical stave, put these two things in the scrotum, and then put the pants on. And they will become like your own skin, but you will be able to reach into the scrotum and get some money. Right. So, so the, the, the coin that you have stolen will like multiply, but you cannot take the original one. It's, you know, ruined <coughs> then. So it's very gruesome. And I think it it's also kind of, maybe it's uh, trying to tell us like to get money is you need, will need to get, do some bad things. Yes. Or it's kind of, and, you know. And, and if, you, if you want to take them off, you've got to um, get the person that's wearing them next to step in one leg at a time, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. don't want to die in them because otherwise your, your soul is condemned forever. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not planning to die in them. I'm not planning to, to put them on. <laughs> what is the stave? Because we've talked a lot about staves, and these are the magical markings, which are usually consist of circles and semicircles and lines and, and in various configurations. So this one here, Naubruck, th this is a stave that is used only with the necropaths? Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. it's only with this. Icelandic magic has been used to try to influence all sorts of things in the real world. This is what I'm standing in front of here intended to change the weather, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's to create storm. Yeah, this is the, the head of a ling, I think, the lingfish. Yeah, 
and in the, in the mouth they have this piece of draft driftwood with uh, runes in it. So, and you have to make it face a certain uh, direction where you want the storm to come from. Yeah, yeah. So, in the in this country where the, so much of your fortune and everything is up mm. to the weather and nature, you want to be able to control that. And there's like uh, there was um, a settler, one of the settlers here, an Icelandic settler, Svanur. He was mentioned in the Icelandic saga Njála, and he was able to control the weather. Is uh, okay. yeah. So it's not just a period of low pressure that we have over Iceland at the moment that is, that is bringing the rain and the wind. It's maybe someone using a vedogaldur, uh, which is what we're in front of just now, which is the, the, the runes, as you say, in the mouth of the lingfish. Um, I, <laughs> I remember what we're looking at here being particularly gruesome. These are the tilberi, which are monstrous, giant, worm-like creatures of various sizes with, with truly hideous heads. Tell me about the tilbury and what they were supposed to achieve. <laughs> yes, this was a magic only women could do. And because women are the ones to create life, uh, men can mostly maybe just bring up a zombie. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but women, yeah, so uh, it's created from a rib of someone who is dead. And you have to wrap it in wool and, and you have to dig it up. Uh, I think it's with Monday or night, you know, it's just a holy, mm -hmm. one of the holy nights. Uh, the woman will hide it and she goes to church and take the sacrament, the wine, but she doesn't drink it. She has to spit it on the bone, okay. the bone she has wrapped in, uh, in wool. And the third time she does it, um, after she's going to church for three times, then it comes alive. So it has two heads on both ends. This creature will live on the body fluids of the mother, the woman who had created. She will make uh, like a little, I don't know, hole on her inner thigh or a nipple. Yes. will come nipple through time, I guess, and it lives on her there. And when it's fully grown, about the size of the leg of the woman, she can send it out and it will steal milk for her. So it steal will milk? Steal milk, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, it goes out and will drink milk for sheep and cow and uh, cows. So, and bring back, comes back, comes maybe, it drinks, it's like a worm, uh, but then when it fills up, it's kind of like a ball. So it could be like rolling back and then it yeah. pukes in her chair and she can make butter out of it. Delightful. Yes, yes, yes. And <laughs> um, you know, at the time the butter was kind of like a currency. It's kind of like gold, yes, you know, it's, yes, uh, yes. you know. So, so that's, I mean, that's why these quite everyday objects or substances like butter or milk or whatever, but have these magic charms attached to them because they were so important. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are many, well, if you look through the grimoires, many, many staves are not so complicated like with a, with a necropan stave or so. Often it's just like, oh, to sharpen your knife or to fish well yes, or yes. to win an argument or, you know. Yeah. Not there's, a, there's a lot about doing well in business and, and, and doing well in legal battles, isn't there? A lot of staves that are designed to bring good fortune if you carry them around with you. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. I see a, a, broom, a broomstick here as well, for yeah, yeah. looking for more sort of obvious <laughs> examples, I but guess. We but we don't, didn't know of any broomsticks. We don't have any stories of that here no, in Iceland. No, it's no. just a broomstick. No. Okay. We've got some more creations here. We have a, is this an eating bowl? It's a bowl, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's um, just to wash your face. It's a washing bowl. Yeah, a washing and, bowl. And, car and carved on the bottom is another stave. Yes, exactly. It's to find out who stole from you. Ah, the so you, Yes, exactly. So you will see the face, you know, uh, in the water who stole from you. And there's also the, uh, this cross here. There's yeah. another, another magic to find who stole from you. So you have to uh, recite certain words and then 
hit into the middle of it, and then the person who stole from you will lose. You know, if you do it often enough, they will lose an eye or at least they will hurt. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you look at another version of the stave, there, there is what looks like someone having something <laughs> hammered through their eye. I'm fascinated as, as to whether you think any of this ever worked, because obviously people believed in it. Obviously, there is evidence of it being used. We've got the grimoires. We've got the evidence of people trying this. Do we have evidence of any of this magic working? No, no, we don't have, no. At least not the, you know, these yeah. big ones or very difficult ones. Was this maybe the religion or a religion of the Westfjords then? Because people obviously had faith that these practices were going to work. Yeah, when the witch craze actually started, it started here in Strandir, and there was there was a strange sickness going on, and no one could find a reason for it except that there's witchcraft. Hmm. And then there were three men burnt after that, and then kind of lit the spark to the fire of the witch craze, where people were burnt, you know. And then people who were afraid of it believed it more, and people who were you know practicing it or didn't know they think it was real, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that. A lot of Icelandic magic is about bringing about good things rather than bad things. There are some evil spells. There are some what you might describe as black magic spells, aren't there? But it's generally about improving things. Yeah, exactly. I would say more, you know. Yeah. You know, so uh, and it's often, often, and you look at it, it's kind of like just something that you can use in your battle for survival, kind of like, you know. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, yeah, to heal your cow or... Yeah. And it, and it lives on because any tourist shop in Reykjavik will sell you a pendant that's got a, uh, a stave on it. Maybe it's the helm of all, maybe it's the, the wayfinder, mm -hmm. the compass stave. So it does live on in the imagination, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it lives on. But we are not using it as it like, we, I'm not putting it up because I think it will protect me. It's more like it's a decoration or something, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. from the from the area, something historical. Yes. Um, but I think the real magic is just what we do, or uh, that's my, and that's something that we, we don't want to uh, encourage people to use magic. We are here just to tell the story. And also kind of this kind of uh, a little bit dark tourism. We want to tell about this time, yeah. which is a dark time in our history, so we can learn from it also. Yeah. Because there is witch hunts in every, in every, <laughs> every time, yeah. and it's always, uh, always the people with the least power has to pay for the ignorance and the power greed yes, of other yes, people. Yes. So, it's just, uh, yeah, uh, that's how I look at this exhibition. Is to kind of, you know. I'd like to head upstairs if we can. I remember being upstairs. I also remember banging my head on something with a low ceiling. So I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be careful. Because I'm very clumsy as we climb the stairs here at the Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft Museum. You can hear the, the sound changing. There's a bit less of uh, an echo going on in here. So here we've got, we've got a timeline. Actually, this is a, like a very powerful... Uh, this is genealogy. Yeah, yeah the family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Family tree. Family yeah. tree here. And which, it kind of shows you that people who are accusing um, of witchcraft, they're the same family of some people were practicing, you know. But the powerful people who were accused of magic never had to be punished or, you know, were burnt. Yes. So, and they all had like the, the same forefather, Egil Skallagrimsson, the very crazy man mm -hmm. in the Icelandic saga. Are all these people's lives well recorded? Yeah, yeah, we have yeah. some. And so when they were um, preparing this exhibition, they went through all the documents, there, like mainly from courts and so. We don't have much documents about uh, the lives of the people who were burned or punished for witchcraft, and that's why we wanted to open the 
Museum of Sorcerers, no, the, the Sorcerers Cottage. Yes. Sorry, to show how the people lived at that time and how kind of the, the magic was part of your survival. You know, it's just... And the Sorcerer's Cottage is not here, is it? Where it's is not, it? No. no, it's not in Holmavik. It's like a 32 kilometers north of Holmavik. So uh, in the Fjord, Bjarnafjörder. Yeah. So we wanted, so the exhibition, the original idea to have uh, three destinations. So it's a track up the coast that you will travel and see. But still, we only have two places. And well, maybe in yes. the future. Well, you've also got here replicas or facsimiles of various parts of various grimoires. Much of the text is in a form of Icelandic that is still understandable today. Yes, exactly. Because but then, the language hasn't changed much. Yeah, but it yeah. seems also like there's like some, um, uh, what do you say, sign and some language with the symbols that you yeah. don't understand. So yeah. it's kind of like they're coding the yes. information too. Yes. Yes, and some of the grimoires have like an alphabet of these uh, in the beginning, mm -hmm. so different kinds. How, how do runes fit in with these? Because runes were a language, but they've also, they're also thought, have been thought by some people to have magical properties, fortune-telling properties as well. So how does rune writing fit in with the staves that we see? Yeah, so the runes, like, um, they have their own names and meaning behind every rune. So, uh, so if you want to create something, then you kind of maybe bind together, get the bind runes. I'm wearing one. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's that that I've got on just now? It's two. Ah, well. <laughs> I can't <yeah>. remember. <laughs> but yes, I'm wearing a, a necklace that has, has, has a bind rune on it and two runes mm -hmm. combined to bring together the power of those, those elements. Yes, exactly. And the most uh, you know, uh, known rune is the Bluetooth symbol. Yes. Yeah, yes. It's, uh, that's yeah, yeah, just yeah. a bind rune, you yeah, know. It is. <laughs> From Harald the Bluetooth yes, king. Yes. Yeah. Who, who, he wouldn't have imagined such a thing no, no. <laughs> a thousand years ago. And we continue with some, photo, well, some images of various characters as well. So who's this gentleman here? He seems significant. So, yeah, upstairs we go uh, deep into the certain uh, witchcraft cases. And this gentleman that we're looking at uh, was a priest, uh, Paul Björsson. And he was very well educated, was educated, uh, had studied in Germany and Denmark. Mm -hmm. And there he learned about the witch hands there and uh, was quite, yeah, educated and interested in this, how to find out who was a witch and how, you know. And he wrote uh, similar, uh, you know, documents here in Iceland, you know, papers on that. So, and he had a very sick wife. And when every time she got sick, he always found someone who was um, near who he thought was causing it with witchcraft. Okay. And he half-brother was the sheriff of the area. So he, only this man was responsible for at least, yeah, seven burnings. Right. Seven witchcraft burnings. When did society stop? that when did society think well maybe we don't need to execute people for taking part in these practices mm -hmm. well when we stopped burning people for witchcraft that was actually thanks to denmark to the danish king because the last man who was burned for witchcraft he was here from the west church and he was accused of this man here and some so they announced uh, found some few farmers to take him to think the the highest court parliament mm. to be burned there but it was middle of summer they were very busy 
you know, they had to be getting, gathering hay. The man was always trying to escape, and it was just all trouble. So on the way, they just stopped and saw a lot of bushes, and said, look, let's just burn them here. Yeah. Doesn't matter if okay. we take them all the way there, we just save yeah, time, yeah. and he's burned yeah. anyway, let's burn him here. And they did that. And then the king of Denmark, we were part of the Danish kingdom at the time, he heard about this and then he said, no, no, Icelanders, you cannot, you cannot you just take it. everything yeah. in your own hands. <laughs> so every uh, death sentence, burning or whatever, was, had to be taken in, you know, they, were, they had the final decision in Denmark. And coming right up to the modern day, to 2023, you know, we've talked about whether these spells work or not. We've talked about whether these practices work or not. There's no evidence, of course, that they do. But do you get people that come here because they want them? to work, that are fascinated by the, the possibilities that, you know, indulging in these practices might bring. Yeah, yeah, I have people who come here that tell me, tell us that they are, they are a witch and they practice magic. And I also had people here who tell me that they bought our grimoires, we were mm. publishing books with, uh, with the English translation of the grimoires, and they say, oh, this works, they tell me. But we are careful. We we don't want to, you know. We are not encouraging people. This is more like it's up to no. them. You know? Well, I did buy one of those books actually when I was here last time with my partner about four years ago, and it is it is fascinating. And what's interesting about it is that they did lay out very clear instructions, didn't they? <laughs> those who wrote and came up with these these ideas, and that's maybe something we should touch on as well. Do we know who wrote these grimoires? No, we have no idea. No. And most of the grimoires that we have are were like copies that were made like in the 20th, 19th century. We cannot know exactly. So no. a lot of it's been uh, maybe talked about from generation to generation? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. or, you know, kind of in some other grimoires and also in the skin or something, yes. and then they copied it and copied it, you know. And so. some would have been destroyed during the period when witches were being burned, presumably. Some of those grimoires would have been burned and destroyed along with those using the grimoires. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. 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 No one wanted to own anything like that. But talking about the simple magic mm. here is like to see a ghost. Yes, ghost finder. Yes, exactly. And then you have to carve this stave on a slip of an oak or red spruce and you will see the ghost. And the, and what you are carving, it kind of looks like a ghost. It does look like yeah. a ghost, yeah. So yeah. this could be, it, it is simple. And there's also two other staves here, Gabaldur and Ginfaxi. And they are to uh, win a battle in uh, wrestling, in the Icelandic wrestling. So you have to put them... One under the heel and the other under the toe, and then you will not fall. And do Glima competitors still do this? N not that I know of, no? but maybe, maybe <laughs> who knows? Who knows? You've not seen inside their shoes. Exactly. <laughs> so. Who wouldn't want to, you know, tell anyone about that if they were cheating? You've also got a great restaurant here. People will come, even if they've got no interest at all in any of this. It's just a nice place to hang out and get a coffee as much as anything else, isn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of, uh, we had the restaurant to be able to keep the museum open. Mm -hmm. So we, that was, but also we want to uh, offer something nice for people and with the ingredients from, from the area. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah. And there is the shop downstairs where you can buy those grimoires and various other items as well. And even if you don't believe in any of this, I think some people who will say that they don't believe in any of it might just buy themselves a helm of all, stick it on their keyring or whatever, stick it in the car. What harm does it do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, you can always look look up uh, look us up on the internet and find our homepage. There's a lot of information about my uh, staves mm. and how to use mm. them and translation. Mm -hmm. So, yes. yeah. I know many use that and appreciate yes. that. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Anna Björg, for showing me around the museum again and giving me a bit more detail than I had the last time 
I was here. Do you have plans for the museum as more and more tourists, more visitors come to the Westfields? Yeah, well, last year's, we always have to prioritize what we want to do. Last year's, we have been working on the building outside. It's, uh, like I said, about 100 years old. So we have fixed the roof and, you know, working on the walls. Then we also fixed up the sausage cottage, but now we're moving more inside. So we recently got a grant to start redesigning or working on the exhibition itself. And now we have a designer who is working on it. I know the first part will be the first room that we enter in the exhibition. So hopefully by the end of the year we have redesigned that. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much again for your time. A real pleasure. It's Ruv English. I'm Darren Adam and you can get in touch anytime. We are English at ruv.is. You're listening to the Ruv English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.